I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. Let's begin by going to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the evidence of your presence already here today, Lord. Lord, your Spirit has already been with us and empowered us. And Lord, we just pray that you would continue to let us know your presence here with us this morning. Lord, as we open up your, your holy, inspired, and inerrant word, Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to see, give us ears to hear, and write the eternal truth of your word on all our hearts today, Lord. Give us hearts willing to obey your word so that we might conform our lives to that of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can open up with me to Deuteronomy chapter 14. Deuteronomy chapter 14. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 21 this morning. Deuteronomy 14, 1 through 21. And if you don't have a Bible with you, you, you can grab one of the pew Bibles there. And it's page 148 in the pew Bible. Page 148 in the pew Bible. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, then please take that pew Bible with you. That's our gift to you. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word, so please take that and use it. It will surely bless you. Now, when you're in school, you want nothing more than to fit in, right? You want to fit in. You don't want to stick out. You want to fit in. And so, typically, we, we try to look at our peers, and we think, well, how, how do they dress? All right, I want to dress like that. I want my hair kind of fixed like uh, the, everybody else's is fixed, because I want to fit in. When you're in school, you don't want to stick out because people make fun of people who stick out, right? And so you want to fit in. And uh, sometimes, even as adults, we kind of carry that with us into adulthood. We kind of dress similar to our peer group, whomever our peer group may be, even as adults, because we have this sense that we want to fit in. But you know, as Christians, we're not supposed to just fit in. As Christians, we see that we're actually supposed to kind of stick out. We're supposed to stick out. And today's text tells us that. As we begin to look at Deuteronomy chapter 14, we're, we're going to see this, that we are called to honor God by living holy unto the Lord. We're called to honor God with our lives by living holy unto the Lord as children of God we are to live separate from the world We're, we are to be different from everyone else we are to be distinct from the people of the world we're actually not supposed to fit in but we're to stick out and stand out as holy unto the Lord that's what that word holy means it means to be separate to be distinct from other people and other things. Now, as we've been going through Deuteronomy, we, we've come to this section in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 13, 
through 1421 is, is one section. And here Moses is applying the third commandment. So this is a sermon that Moses is preaching to the people of Israel as he's preparing them to go into the promised land. He's not going to go with them. So this is kind of his last message to them. There's a series of messages here in Deuteronomy, but this is his last message to him. And here in this sermon, Moses is preaching on the Ten Commandments. And this little section here, 13.1 through 14.21, is on the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, as bearers of God's name, both this is the case for Israel, because they bore the name of God, and it is the case for us as Christians, because we bear the name of Jesus Christ. As Christians, we are called to live in such a way that we do not disgrace God's name, but rather bring honor and glory to the name of God in our world. And that's what he's telling us here in our text today. We honor God by living holy unto the Lord, by standing out from everyone else in the world. So today, as we look at our text, we're going to see three realms of life we are called, in which we are called to live holy unto the Lord. Now, of course, there are many other ways, right? There's not just limited to these three things, these three spheres of life, but that'll kind of give us the idea, right? It kind of sets us on the right course. And so we're going to see these three realms of life that we are called to live holy unto the Lord today. And I pray that it will, this sermon will help you to Live holy unto the Lord, to be different, set apart from the rest of the world, and live a life that honors and glorifies the name of God. So I'm not going to read the whole text this morning we're going to, because it is a little longer, and so we're going to work through it this morning as we go. But as we begin to work through our text this morning, the first way that we see that we're to honor God with our lives, we are to honor God by living holy unto the Lord in mourning. In mourning, not in the morning, but in mourning, in, in times of sorrow, in times of distress, we are to honor God in our mourning. Look there at the first two verses of our text, 14, 1 and 2. Uh, you are the sons of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves or make any baldness on your foreheads for the dead when you mourn, right? When you mourn for a lost loved one. For, here's the reason, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of, the, out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So he gives us this reason, for you are a people holy unto the Lord. And the reason we know that 14.1 through 14.21 is one section is because 14.21 ends with that same kind of reasoning, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. God calls Israel as a people separated out from all the other nations to live holy unto the Lord. They're not to, to blend in with their pagan neighbors, but they are to be different. They're to be separate. They're to stand out of the crowd. And one way they do that is in the way they mourn. 
Now he tells them there, you're, you're not to make any baldness on your forehead and you're not to, to cut yourself, right? Now what's this all about? Well, in the pagan world, especially back in that day, but in other ways, in other places as well, in the pagan world, there was this practice of self-mutilation. So in ancient pagan cultures, people would often practice self-mutilation to evoke their gods to respond to them. For example, when Elijah, and if, as uh, uh, the church here, we're, we're going through the Old Testament, and if you read your, your Bible reading this week, we, we read this story about Elijah, but in Kings chapter 18, 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah challenged, challenges the prophets of Baal uh, to a, kind of a, a duel, if you will, right? And so he says to the prophets of Baal, he says, all right, you got you make a sacrifice and you build an altar and you make a sacrifice and you set your sacrifice on your altar and I'm going to make a sacrifice and I'm going to set my sacrifice on this altar and you, got, you guys, you pray to Baal and I'm going to pray to Yahweh, to my Lord and whichever God answers by consuming the offering, that God is the God. And, and so he lets the prophets of Baal go first. And so they make their sacrifice, they lay it out there on the altar, and then they begin to pray to their God, to Baal. But Baal doesn't answer. And when they, Baal doesn't answer, they pray all the harder. And then Elijah, I mean, Elijah, he's kind of like pushing them. Oh, well, come on, guys, maybe, maybe your God, maybe Baal is, maybe he's napping. Maybe you need to cry out a little harder. Maybe he's napping, or, or maybe he's out on a long journey, or maybe he's in the bathroom relieving himself. So, so cry out a little bit harder. Maybe then he will hear you. And so what do the prophets of Baal do in 1 Kings 18, 28? It says, and they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And so here's this practice. Uh, they're in anxiety. They are crying out to their God because they are in anxiety. And they are starting to cut themselves to evoke Baal to respond and this was apparently a common practice among the pagan cultures often they would self-mutilate in order to evoke their gods to respond to them well think about that even in our own days even though we don't have a pagan culture so so much like uh, what the old testament saw although it is becoming more common in our day and time here in america but uh but just think about that how many people do you know who are lost, who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, who when they suffer a great loss, they inflict bodily harm upon themselves. How many people do you know who, who suffer such loss and, and they don't have hope in the world, so, so they, when they suffer loss, they hurt themselves by cutting themselves or burning themselves. Or, or maybe they turn to drugs and alcohol to drown out their sorrows but you see as followers of jesus christ as children of god we're not to mourn like the rest of the world paul tells us that in the new testament doesn't he as christians we are to mourn differently from the world first thessalonians 
4, 13 through 14, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. See, there's even different language when it comes to Christianity. We don't refer to our dead as dead. They're asleep. They're just taking a nap, right? They're just asleep. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And he goes on from there and tells more about the coming resurrection of the dead. But you see, we don't mourn. As Christians, we don't mourn like the lost world mourns. Because the lost world, when a loved one dies, they're just dead. There's, there's nothing else. They're just dead. But you see, we have hope. We have hope. Through Jesus Christ, through His resurrection, we have hope of a future resurrection. You see, we're not going to be eternally separated from our loved ones. Now, we still mourn. We still feel sorrow. But it's different than the mourning of the rest of the world. You know, when I, back long, long time ago, when I left to go to boot camp, I mourned. I felt sorrow. My family mourned. Why? Because I was going away for three long months, and that seemed like an eternity at that point in my life. And and so there was sorrow because I was going to be separated from the people I knew and loved. So I mourned. And you see, that's what mourning is for Christians. When we lose a loved one, there's sorrow because we're going to miss that person. We want to be with them and we're going to miss them. But it's different from the rest of the world because we have hope. We know that that loved one, we're going to be reunited with that person someday in the future, whether it be through the, when the Lord returns or when we die, right? We're going to be reunited with that person. We mourn differently than the rest of the world. You honor God even in the way you mourn loss in this world. We honor God in death. When our loved ones die, even when we come to that point of death, we honor God by responding different than the rest of the world. We honor God in the way we mourn. We honor God by revealing our hope in Jesus Christ. So we honor God by living holy unto the Lord in our mourning, in those moments of sorrow and loss. Second, we honor God by living holy unto the Lord in the mundane. In the mundane. Now we come to one of those interesting sections of Scripture that uh, always gets a lot of questions. Uh, We come to the, the food laws, the Old Testament food laws. And I've often had people ask me, you know, why the food laws? I mean, some of the things we can understand, like a buzzard. I mean, we can understand the, a buzzard. We shouldn't eat a buzzard. Uh, we can understand things like that. But, but you know, what, what about squirrels and what about uh, uh, rabbits and stuff like that? We, we, those are common foods, especially here in the South, right? So why all of these different things? Well, 
let's read our text first and, and see what all is there, but, and then we'll come back and try to maybe think about that a little bit. Let's pick up in verse 3 there. You shall not eat any abomination. These are the animals you may eat. The ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roebuck, and wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. Every animal that parts the hoof and has the hoof cloven in two and chews the cud among the animals, you may eat. Yet of those that chew the cud and have the hoof cloven, you shall not eat these, the camel, the hare, the rock badger, because they chew the cud but do not part the hoof, are unclean for you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof but does not chew the cud, is unclean for you. Their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcass you shall not touch. Of all that are in the waters, you may eat these. Whatever has fins and scales, you may eat. And whatever does not have fins and scales, you shall not eat. It is unclean for you. You may eat all clean birds, but these are the ones that you shall not eat. The eagle, the bearded vulture, the black vulture, the kite, the falcon of any kind, every raven of any kind, the ostrich, the nighthawk, the seagull, the hawk of any kind, the little owl and the short-eared owl, the barn owl and the tawny owl, the carrion vulture and the uh, cormorant, the stork, the heron of any kind, the hoopoe and the bat. And all winged in insects are unclean for you. They shall not be eaten. All clean winged things you may eat. You shall not eat anything that has died naturally. You may give it to the sojourner who is within your towns that he may eat it, or you may sell it to a foreigner. And so here are these food laws. And in other places there's more details, and like in, uh, back over there in uh, Exodus, there's a few more details. But here's the, the basis of, of those food laws. And so we see here a lot of things that, we, we kind of understand, like the vulture, right? We, we, we understand why not to eat a vulture. Nobody really wants to eat a vulture. Uh, but, uh, but what about these other things? Why are these food laws? Well, there's a lot of different opinions out there about why God lays out these particular animals in the food laws. And I'm just going to share five of, of them with you real briefly and quickly. And so you can go study them on your own if you want to. But uh, first, the theory is that they're just arbitrary. They're just arbitrary. So there's no rationale behind them. They're just kind of like, well, God said so, and that's, that's enough, right? God said so, that's final, and so that's the way it should be. But God is not arbitrary, so I, I can't go with that one because God's never arbitrary. He always has a purpose for everything, so I don't think it's arbitrary. Second, it could be cultic. It could be cultic. That is to say that uh, these banned animals, these unclean animals, were a part of other pagan cultures, right? They served some kind of purpose. 
maybe they were worshipped, or maybe they were used in other pagan sacrifices, and, and so they were connected to pagan practices. Maybe, but not all of them were. Like some of them have been identified, yes they were, but, but some of them have not been. So that might be part of the practice. Um, but then the third is hygienic or health-related. Hygienic or health-related. Some of these animals, to eat them, it's, it's just not good for you. And a lot of times we think of that, especially with pork, because if you have heart disease, if you have high cholesterol, the doctor tells you what? You need to cut down on your pork because it's not so good for you. It's very fatty. Uh, but that doesn't explain rabbits and squirrels and and things like that so uh, i'm not sure that's all of it either Uh, number four is that it's has to do with sacrificial right it has to do with the whole sacrificial system so this under this theory god kind of limits them to the things that are sacrificed unto him like the things that are clean can be brought to the the altar to be sacrificed unto the lord are things that the people of Israel could eat. That's good. That, that, that sounds on track, especially when you look at the clean and unclean animals, except God didn't accept wild animals to be sacrificed on the altar. It was all domestic, uh, domestic animals that he allowed to be sacrificed there at the temple. So uh, maybe, but, but not quite. There, it's not a perfect match there, right? And the fifth theory is that it's symbolic it's symbolic so these unclean animals symbolize evil they symbolize wickedness Uh, in this you know some of these animals are connected to death the vulture the uh, carnivores you know you don't want to eat anything that's connected to death and that makes some sense some sense at least right because uh if a person touched a dead carcass, they were considered unclean. And so if an animal eats dead carcasses, that animal would be unclean. So there's some rationale behind that. Uh, I'm not sure it's, it's true throughout because there again, a rabbit's not a carnivore. A squirrel's not a carnivore. They're not scavengers. Uh, so what is it? Well, I don't know, right? I think it's a combo between at least the, the sacrificial theory and the symbolic. Because even though he does, God does allow some wild animals to be consumed, like, go back there, the deer, the gazelle, the roebuck, the wild goat, uh, the ibex. Even though these are wild animals and they weren't sacrificed there in the temple, they are of a kind of animal that was allowed to be sacrificed at the temple. So they were, they're kin to, to goats and sheep and that sort of thing. So maybe because of their kind is, they're of the same kind, maybe uh, that would be allowed. And, and I do think it has something to do with being carnivorous and being scavengers, uh, scavenging on dead carcasses, making them unclean. So I think those two kind of put together Uh, would be uh, kind of probably the reason. The fact of the matter is, Scripture doesn't just, it doesn't spell it out for us. It doesn't tell us. God didn't reveal that totally to us. And so we don't know for sure 
why exactly God chose certain animals to be clean and certain animals to be unclean. But here's the one thing that we do know. Here's the one thing that we do know. The main purpose, the main purpose for these food laws was to mark ancient Israel as distinct from their surrounding cultures. Right? It, it was to mark them as distinct because even though their neighbors might not have eaten vultures and, and those types of things, they did eat a lot of pork. Right? They did eat some of these things. And, and so by making these food laws, this made Israel absolutely distinct from the rest of the world. It marked them off as holy, separate unto the Lord because even in their eating practices, even in the such mundane things as they're eating and drinking, they were informed by God. They were separated out by God. So even in the mundane things, you are to be holy unto the Lord. The mundane things of eating and drinking, you are to be holy unto the Lord. Now, as New Testament Christians, we know, we've seen this, and I'm going to show you this. We know that the food laws have been abolished. They've been abrogated. Mark chapter 7, verse 18 through 19, Jesus said to his disciples, then are, you, uh, are no, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes in a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach? And is expelled, thus he declared all food clean. Jesus declared all food clean. And if that were not enough, then you go over to Acts, and I'll just flip over there and, and read it real quick. But Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through uh, 16. Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 16. Here we have Peter and his vision. You remember this? The next day, as they were on the journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something, and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descended, uh, descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So in the New Testament, we see that the food laws, they've been abrogated. They've been abolished. They're, they're no longer uh, in, in, in practice. But the basic biblical principle here still applies to us. The basic biblical principle still applies to Christians Christians must be distinct from the world, even in the most mundane things, 
even in what the way we eat and the way we drink. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all what? To the glory of God. Paul says, whatever you do, eat, drink, whatever. Even in the most mundane things of life, you're to do everything to the glory and honor of God in heaven. Let me ask you this. Does gluttony honor or dishonor God? Does angry outburst honor or dishonor God? Does cheating in a game or even on your taxes, does it honor or dishonor God? When people identify you as a Christian, when you say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, you bear the name of Christ in the world. Therefore, everything you do either honors or dishonors Christ. Even in the way you eat, it honors or dishonors God. Christians represent you represent Jesus Christ. So honor Christ even in the most mundane things of life. So honor God by living holy unto the Lord in mourning in the mundane. And third, honor God by living holy unto the Lord in morality. In morality. In your morality. How you live we see this in the last little section of our verse here. We stop there. And uh, 21, we stop just shy of the end. Uh, he says, therefore, you are people holy to the Lord your God. And this last sentence, you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. What's that all about? What is this? You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Well, here again, we have a few theories out there of what this pertains to. So let me just share a couple of those with you. Some say that this is a prohibition against, here again, a pagan fertility ritual. It's a prohibition against a, a pagan fertility ritual. And there's some evidence that this was the case, that there was a, a practice in a pagan ritual uh, to kind of celebrate spring and, and evoke the gods to, to bring fertility in the land that they would bull a, a young goat in its mother's milk. Uh, but there, there's just a little bit of evidence there, so it, this, that may be the case. Uh, others say that this goes against God's created order of things. So life-giving milk, right? The mother's life-giving milk is now actually being used as a, an instrument of death. And so it goes against God's created order. And whichever might be the case there, we can see that here there is an element of morality here. And we're going to see this more as we continue through because we're going to get into the more, uh, the more I guess you say, moral-centric laws, if you will. Maybe that's that a way to say it. But we see a sense of morality here. There's something morally wrong, whether it's connected to a pagan practice or because it's a, it defiles the created order of things. There's something morally wrong with 
boiling a young goat in its mother's milk. And so there's a moral issue at stake. As Christians, we're called to moral integrity. We're called to moral integrity, and we're to represent God and uphold His name as holy in our moral integrity. You flip over to Ephesians, and do flip over there with me if you can. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We see this come out in Paul's letter to the church there in Ephesians, in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 3 through 12. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. Here's what Paul tells us. But sexual immorality and impurity... Well, actually, let me just go back to verse 1. Let me start with verse 1. Therefore, Paul says, be imitators of God as beloved children... And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That kind of sounds like what Moses said to the people of Israel. You are a people holy unto the Lord. You are a people holy unto the Lord. You are God's children. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of, this th- because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become par- partners with them, for at one time you were darkness. Oh boy, notice that. You were darkness. Not just in darkness. You were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Notice there, we are to live with moral integrity. Sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, and the list could go on and on and on. All of these things are common. They're common. They're common in the world. And Christians are not to be common. We're to separate ourselves. We're to be different because we're to demonstrate a different morality than the rest of the world. We're not to get our moral advice from the government, from our president, from Congress, from the media, from the secular culture, from college professors. They're not to define our morality. Our morality comes from God, which is given to us in God's Word. 
We are to be different. We're to be separate from the rest of the world in our morality. Our biblical morality, our God-given morality affects our speech. There's no crude joking. There's no dirty talk. It's to affect our speech. It's to affect our actions. We're not to act like the rest of the world. The world says that that kind of thing is all right. It's okay. But God says it's not. So we follow God. You see, we represent God and we reflect His glory and His honor when we live by His moral standard. Far, far too often, right? We see this affecting Christians. Because the world, the secular world, they have a different standard of morality. We see this in issues of abortion, of sexual morality, marital fidelity, business ethics. We see it all around. There's a different standard. And unfortunately, far too often, I hear even Christians excusing immorality, saying things like, well, that's just the way of the world these days. Boys will be boys. Girls will be girls. What can you do? You sit them down and you open up God's Word and you show them God is not pleased with that kind of action. He is not comp he's not pleased with sexual immorality. I don't care what the world says is all right to do. I don't care if the world says you should try out a relationship. You should live together a while before you get married and try it out. I don't care what the world says. God's world word says that is wrong. And we are to be different than the rest of the world. I'm sick and tired of Christians posting on Facebook one minute, oh, we had a great worship service today, how wonderful God is, and in the next minute, maybe Monday, they're posting some of the most obscene and ugly things on Facebook. And when they do that, if you do that, you are defaming the name of Jesus Christ. Claiming to be a Christian, but then acting like the rest of the world. We're to be different. We're to be different. We're to be set apart from the rest of the world. No, we're not perfect. No, we're not perfect. We're going to make mistakes. But when we make mistakes, we come to the Lord and we say, Lord, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you paid for that mistake. And we get up and we persevere. We push on. But we don't let that immorality become a part of our everyday lives. We've got to be different. We've got to be different. We've got to be set apart. When the world looks at us, they've got to say, ah, there's something different about you. You're strange, right? You're a weirdo. You stand out. You're not like everyone else. Honor God by living holy unto the Lord in your morality. Hold to a biblical standard of morality.
Expose the darkness by being light in the world. Honor God by living holy unto the Lord. Y'all remember, you remember Sesame Street? One of these kids is doing his own thing. One of these kids is not like the same, or not like the other, something like that. Uh, You know how it goes. And they had the four blocks, and three kids were kind of doing something similar, but one kid was standing out. You know, we're supposed to be the kids in the block that stands out. We're, we're to be the ones that are doing our own thing. But, but we're not doing our own thing. We're doing God's thing. The world does their own thing. But we're called to do God's thing. To live holy unto the Lord. And our relationship with Jesus Christ should affect every aspect of our lives. From our church lives to our home lives, to our work lives. Even when we go sit down at a restaurant in a moment, we are to reflect the glory and honor of God even when we eat. We're to be different. Honor God by living holy unto the Lord. Maybe some of you today, you realize there's some things in your life that isn't so holy. You've made compromises. There's some things that you need to change. Today, repent of that. Repent of that. Tell that to God. Confess that to God. Say, Lord, I've, I've been doing this wrong. I've let this sin creep into my life. Lord, forgive me and help me to change it. Repent and turn to the Lord today. Maybe there's some that you've never lived holy unto the Lord because you're living in absolute rebellion to the Lord. You've never surrendered your life to Christ. You're just living. You are with the world. You're living in rebellion against the holy God. You cannot honor God at all. You can't even begin to honor God unless you turn away from your your rebellion And turn to Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, here's the good news. Jesus Christ, he loved you in your rebellion. And while you were rebelling against God, he came to this earth and he lived a perfect life in perfect obedience to the will of God in your place. And though he was without sin, he willingly went to Calvary's cross and there he died for you so that you might have a new life a holy life in the Lord. And then he was raised three days later, assuring you that all your sin has been paid for. And today, if you turn away from your sin and turn to Jesus Christ and trust in him, he will give you a new life, a life that is holy and separate unto the Lord. And he will empower you To live holy and separate unto the Lord. If you just trust in him. Will you trust in him today? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for this call upon our lives, Lord. You call us to holiness because you've saved us. You have chosen us. You've called us out 
of darkness and into your glorious light. And because of your salvation, you want the very best for us. So Lord, you call us to live holy unto you because that's what's good and right. Lord, I know we, we get the temptation is hard sometimes to go along because Lord, we want to fit in. Oh, but Lord, let us not desire to fit in but give us a a yearning to stand out as your holy people to be light in this world of darkness so that people who are walking in darkness might be drawn to your glorious light let us be different and lord for those who don't know Jesus. They're living in rebellion. Lord, turn their hearts today to see Christ. To turn away from their rebellion. Turn to Jesus. And begin to live that life holy unto you. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen.